0: It's funny I uh, was we were watching our missionary emphasis he was talking about Washington State University I have a niece uh, who's there right now she's studying architecture and uh, she is currently though on leave from there in, in and she's currently living in Ireland I think she's coming back next week or so and uh, she's studying architecture over there and last Christmas when we flew out to Washington to see my sister Um, And her family, my niece, came in. I was asking Bonnie, I said, have you heard of Frank Lloyd Wright? I don't know if you've heard Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright was a famous architect in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. In fact, years ago, when I lived in Texas, when we lived in Texas, I worked for a pipe organ company. And we worked on a pipe organ that was in a house. And it was a Frank Lloyd Wright house there in Texas. So it was a very unique very low-built house. It was really unique in how that house was built. Well, there's a story about a hundred years ago in Japan, around 1918, 1919, they wanted to have a hotel built in Japan. Of course, Japan has earthquakes and so they asked Frank Lloyd Wright if he could build an indestructible hotel. And so Frank Lloyd Wright traveled to Japan and When he got there, he was shocked because he realized that they only had about 8 feet of dirt. And once they drilled down to that, they just hit mud. And so right below that 8 feet was basically just 30 feet of mud. So every time they would drill a, a, a test hole, it would just fill up with water. And a lot of architects would have said, this is impossible. We can't even get to bedrock. You can't build an indestructible hotel here in Japan. But, of course, that was not Frank Lloyd Wright. So Frank Lloyd Wright devised a way that they would build a hotel basically to be a floating hotel. And so they drilled down into the mud to do the pilings, and then they cantilevered everything, and they built the rooms uh, that they were actually disjointed from each other like a boxcar on a train. So the rooms would move this way if they needed to. And instead of running the wires across this way, they ran them down vertical shafts so they could swing in the hotel. And of course, Frank Lloyd Wright knew that one of the big dangers whenever there's an earthquake is fire. And so he figured that, again, the water lines to the hotel might get broken. So he insisted they build this huge mammoth outdoor pool just in case of fire so they could get water out of the pool. Well, they finished the hotel and lo and behold, in 1923, Tokyo had the greatest earthquake in its history at that point. hundred and forty thousand people were killed in the earthquake in Tokyo. And so, of course, this is back before the days of the internet, so newspaper stories were slow to get back to the United States. But there was a reporter that was just itching to write the story about the fact that the Tokyo Hotel, the Imperial Hotel that Frank Lloyd Wright had built, had certainly collapsed in the earthquake. Now, they hadn't gotten any news yet. But he called Frank Lloyd Wright. He said, I, "I've got a story that I'm going to be working on about your hotel and how it collapsed." And Frank Lloyd said, "Well, you can publish it if you want, but you're going to have to publish a retraction." He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "My hotel's not collapsing." He said, "This was the greatest earthquake ever he, in Japan." He said, "So my my hotel didn't collapse." Frank Lloyd Wright didn't know that at that point, but he was confident. He had built an indestructible hotel, and yes, a few hours later, he got a telegram from Tokyo that his hotel had not collapsed. And in fact, hundreds of people were in his hotel seeking shelter, and while the city was burning down around it, they went out to the large outdoor pool and used the water to douse the hotel so it wouldn't catch on fire. And so his hotel stayed through the entire earthquake. Unfortunately, it was demolished in 1960 for a newer, more modern hotel. But that's a man of confidence. You can print the story, but I know it didn't fall. And you know, we all love confidence, right? We all love confident people, or at least we should, and we want to be confident. And and as Christians, if you're a Christ follower, and I'm assuming all of us are, we want to be confident in our faith, don't you? I want to be confident when I pray that God hears me. I, I want to be confident definitely in my salvation. I want to be confident where I go when I die. I want to be confident that I'm a child of God. And so today we're going to wrap up 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, you can look on the screen. Uh, we're going to look at 1 John here for a second. And one phrase as we wrap up this series, and yes, we will do Christmas music next week and we will start the Christmas season. But I wanted to wrap up the series before we ended the year. One phrase that John uses over and over and over again in his book is, We know. We know. He uses if you read through First John you highlight that phrase you'll see it over and over. We know. We know. We know. In fact, I'll cite some in just a few minutes. The thing that John's trying to instill in his readers and us is confidence. You we need to have confidence because John's readers just like today there was a lot of false teachers out there. I watched a video this week of a very much well-known false teacher saying some horrific heretical things. War was shocked. She's like, this man's a minister? Yep. But, well, in name, but completely heretical. So again, the church then, as today, had a lot of false teaching out there. And as a, lot, as a result, a lot of people were really confused. You know, was Jesus really a man or did he just appear to be man? Was he a man who became God and then the God had left him? And, I mean, how, how did all this work? And is there secret knowledge? Because Gnosticism is starting to come around. And, well, you, you need to do Jesus, but there's some secret knowledge you really need to learn. And so the people in the church and John say, just like today, a lot of them were confused. And so John writes this letter says, we know, we know, we know, we know. I want you to understand. I don't want you to be confused. I want you to have confidence because confidence feels good. And it's, it's nice to know when somebody has confidence. You know, there's a story about Henry Ford when he uh, was alive and had his big factory and he had a piece of machinery go down. And Henry's um, engineers there on site, they couldn't get the machinery to get back running and he needed to run. So out of desperation, he called a retired engineer that, that was a friend of his And he figured, if anybody knows, John knows. So he called up John. Of course, they didn't have telephones. Didn't telegram, whatever. Maybe that telephone then. And he said, hey, I've got this big machine down. He told him what it was. And I need this thing to get running. I'm running behind schedule. I've got to get cars out of here. Nobody can fix it. So John comes down to the factory. And in about 30 minutes, he has the machine up and running. Gave Henry Ford a bill, $10,000. Henry Ford said, what? $10,000, $10,000, you fix that thing in less than 30 minutes. He said, yes, the part was 50 bucks. Knowing where to put the part and knowing where to look, $9,950. <laughs> That's confidence. We want confidence. Right. You want your doctor to have some confidence. Right. You don't want them to say, well, I've never tried this surgery before, but I'll give it a shot. No, you want them to have confidence. You know, we we pay people big money for confidence. You know, we pay plumbers eighty five dollars an hour because we're confident they know what they're doing. When when Laura's family, we went through this last year, had to get her her dad and and there was just a lot of mess. I won't get into all that. At the end of the day, though, the bill was over seven thousand dollars for the lawyer. To get this, all the stuff that we had to deal with with her. That's a lot of money. I'm like $7,000! But she knew what she was doing. She got the case. And she got what we needed. And she was confident that she could do it. You want confidence. We want to feel confident. And so, but a lot of Christians are fearful. Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? You know, is, is, does God really listen to me in my prayer? And so again, John says, I want you to be confident. So when John starts off his letter, Chapter one, we're not going to read right now, but when John starts off his letter, if you go back the very beginning, he says, we want to tell you what we have seen, what we have touched, what we have heard concerning the word of truth, Jesus Christ. We have seen him. We have touched him. We have heard him. He also says he was from the beginning. In other words, he is God in the flesh and we want you to know that. And so throughout his letter from that beginning point forward, it's constantly we know, we know, we know, we know that he is the son of God because of what he's done. And we want you to know what you can know. And so if you just real quickly, I'm not going to put on the screen, but real quickly. He says this in chapter 2, verse 13, we know God the Father. Chapter 2, verse 10, we know the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 21, we know the truth. Chapter 3, verse 2. We know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him. Chapter 3, verse 5. We know that Christ appeared in order to take away sins. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Chapter 4, verse 2. We know that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Chapter 4, verse 6. We know that those who listen to the apostles are from God, and that those who reject God's apostles do not have the spirit of truth. Chapter 4, verse 7. Everyone who loves that sac- self sacrifice, love is born of God and knows God. Chapter 4, verse 13, God has given us assurance to us from His Spirit that we may know that we remain in Him. Chapter 4, verse 16, we know that love that God has for us. Chapter 5, verse 2, when we love God and observe His commandments, we know that we love the children of God. So John constantly is going through, we know, we know, we know. In chapter 2 though, he says on the other hand, we know that there are false teachers. We know that there are antichrists who have gone into this world, and this is the last hour. So I know, child of God, you may be fearful because of these false teachers, and I'm telling you what we know, and I want you to be confident. So here's my thing as we wrap up this series today. I just want you to be confident as a Christ follower. First of all, and this is a little review. But if you're a Christ follower, I want you to be confident in your salvation. Go to chapter 5, verse 13. I know we did this a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. Who is he writing to? He says, you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's the audience. This is who I'm writing to, Christ followers. Why did I write this letter so that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, if you've responded to Christ's call in your life, you've confessed your sins, you've repented, and you're putting your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, you know you have eternal life. Don't sit here and second guess it. Just rest in that promise. Okay? That's what John's saying. Here's the second thing. He says, I want you to be confident that when you pray, God hears your prayers. Now again, we hit this a couple weeks ago or last week, but I just want to hit it again. Chapter four, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Look at it again. Now this is the confidence. See that word confidence? He loves it. Now this is the confidence we have before Him. Whenever we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Chapter 15. And if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know... That we have what we ask for. Again, he says, I want you to be confident that God hears you. How? If you will pray according to God's will. What is God's will? Well, certainly we know his will is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the way you know God's will is when we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're loving our neighbors when We're loving one another. We're aligned with God's will. And when we're aligned with God's will, when we pray, God's going to listen. Why? Because we're aligned with His will. It's not all about give me a new Cadillac or give me this or give me a million dollars. It's about God working this situation to bring so-and-so to Christ. Father, I just pray in this situation you'll help me to have patience here. God, I just pray that you'll give me the strength and the wisdom to know in the decision I make. Again. John says also in that whole, in the book, the way you know you're aligned with God's will is your actions. Because you can say anything, it's your actions. So he says, I want you to be confident. Now those two things we've hit before. Be confident in your salvation. And if you're aligned with God, be confident that when you pray, He hears you. Let me give you a couple others today as we wrap this up. Next, be confident in your security. Let's go to chapter uh, 5, verse 18. Look at real quick. Now, this is kind of confusing at the beginning, but just follow me through. He says, we know, there's that phrase again, that everyone who has bor- been born of God does not sin. And wait, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Because if we, uh, we hit this last week, i are going to go back through it. But if you go back to verse 16, John allows for the reality that Christians sin, all right? I mean, if you're a Christ follower, has anybody been perfect since the moment they became a Christ follower? No, we still sin, right? Now, we should sin less all right. We should sin less, but we still sin. So, what's John saying here? We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Well, again, remember the context. The context: are people, part of the book that he's dealing with, are people who were in the church, but were false teachers. He said they were from us, but they were not from us. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. There were people in the church who were teaching false teaching. They were again, they were some way they were cheapening Christ. He, was, he wasn't virgin born. He wasn't fully God, fully man. He didn't bodily resurrect. He, he wasn't a, a real person. He was just an illusion. There were people in the church, unfortunately, false teachers, just like we have today, that were wearing the collar or having the PhD or having the rev or something in front of their name who were not teaching the truth. In a sense, they were rejecting Christ. That That is the one sin that will lead you to ultimate death rejection of Christ we all die physically but there's a worse death than physical death spiritual death and the only way a person dies spiritually is when they reject Christ and unfortunately in the church then and even today and I could put videos up on the screen to show you pastors who no longer believe that Jesus is the only way who no longer teach that he is God in the flesh maybe they never believed That's the sin that we're not supposed to commit. That is the sin of rejecting Christ. And so John says this, if truly if you've been born of God, you're not going to do that. Okay? Anybody can go to seminary. Anybody can say anything. Anybody can pass the tests, But the evidence comes by your fruit. And anybody can... Can do those things. But John says, I'm telling you that everyone who's been born of God, who's been truly born again, they're not going to reject their savior. They're not going to reject their Messiah. Okay. And look at what we can have confidence. Look at the last part of this verse, but the one, and notice it's a capital O because it's referring to Jesus. The one who is born of God, that's Jesus keeps him keeps who keeps the true believer. The one who's put their faith and trust in Christ. And the evil one does not touch him. So here's the deal. Christ keeps you. Let me tell you a false teaching about salvation. That somehow your salvation depended upon you. It does not depend upon you. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Again, John said this earlier in chapter 4, verse 10. Love consists in this. Not that we love God. We didn't initiate this but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sin. He sent His Son to be that atoning sacrifice to take our place. You and I don't have anything to do with our salvation. You didn't earn your salvation. You can't work your way to heaven. And I'll tell you something, folks. This should give us confidence. I didn't earn it. There's nothing I can do. It's solely by grace through faith. That's the only way. I'm a believer. It's because God said i provided a way. I've done all the work. All you have to do is accept and take me as your own. Take the gift for you. Again, it's like a Christmas day coming up in 16 days. Not that I'm counting. But. You know, you got a Christmas gift under the tree, and you know, mom's gone out and bought everything and wrapped it up and put it under the tree and put a bow on it. It's there. It's yours. You can have it and you take it and you open it up. You can enjoy it and you can play with it or whatever. It is yours, but unless you take it, it just sits under the tree. All the work's been done. You just got to pick it up. Same with salvation. All the work's there. It's a gift. All you have to do is say, and that should give you confidence because here's the thing. And there's a lot of people and and this false teacher I was listening to this week. He did have some truth in there, but he was misconstruing it. You know, people can use religion to control people. Just being honest. Religion can be a strong manipulator. And and, and people can keep people in fear all the time. Well, if you don't go to church, then you're going to lose your salvation. Or if you don't give a lot of money, you're going to lose your salvation. Or if you, if you, if you know, and, and we can go on those things, you know, if you haven't been good enough, you're going to lose your salvation. Boy, that's a, that's a controller right there. That's a controller. And there's a lot of people that go out of fear because they're afraid they're going to lose their salvation any moment. Listen, you didn't earn it. You can't keep it. All right. Now, should we be good? Certainly. If you're a follower of Christ, you should want to do those things. You should want to walk in the light. But as your salvation is not depending upon how much money did you give. I mean, just think about that. If our salvation was dependent upon how much money we gave, heaven would not be heaven. Because we'd be sitting up there and all the one percenters would be going around. Yeah, I'm up here because I gave $200,000. What are you doing up here? Well, I don't know. They may kick you out. That wouldn't be Heaven. It's not about how much money you give. It's not how much you go to church. It's not, it's not have you been good enough. All those things are wonderful things. We should tithe. We should go to church. We should, we should do good works. But that's not what makes a person a Christ follower. I, I don't know about, to me, knowing that I had nothing to do with it, all I did was said, yes, I, I, I accept you as my Savior. That gives me confidence because I didn't do anything. Christ did it all. Here's what Jesus said in in the Gospel of John. He said this about His followers. I give them, that's His followers, those who put their faith and trust in Him, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Again, we're talking spiritual death here, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. See, you don't have to be, oh, I don't know, am am I a Christian today? Am I not a Christian? No, if you've put your faith and trust, you're in. Here's another one. Paul said, I'm persuaded that I've in death or life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor hostile powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You didn't earn your salvation. You can't maintain your salvation. It's a gift. Am I clear on that? Because you need to be secure. Be confident in your security. Satan cannot take your salvation. Look at verse 18 again, the last part. But the one who is born of God keeps him. Jesus Christ keeps the believer. He's the one born of God and he keeps him or her. That's the person who's placed their faith and trust in Christ. And the evil one does not touch him. Satan cannot take your salvation. Can he attack you? Yes, only with God's permission, but he can But guess what? If God does allow Satan to attack you, He will always give you the power to withstand the attack. And He will allow it so that you can grow in your faith. He's not trying to be mean. God may allow Satan to attack you in a way to strengthen your faith. That's what His goal is, is that you'll become more and more mature in your faith. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2 of uh, First John, he talks about the young men who, the, the spiritual young men, are able to overcome the evil one. He will give you the strength to do that. Remember, part of the armor of, the, of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He gives you the offensive weapon to face those attacks. But at the end of the day, Satan cannot take your salvation. He can't rob you of that. It is yours. And again be confident. Look at what John says in verse 19. We know, there's that confidence, that we are of God. And we know, That's. I'm just putting it in there because it's implied, we know the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So here's the reality. John says we know we're followers of God. That's the reality. And we also know at the same time the world in which we live in is under the sway of uh, the evil one. You know, I, I will tell you, as a Christ follower, you should see the world differently than people who are under the sway of the evil one. When I read the headlines, it's just me, I see prophecy behind it. I see things coming to fruition. A lot of people may not see that, especially if you're not a believer, You don't you don't get that. But when I read the headlines, I see, oh, I see how that can potentially happen. Oh, I see how this is potentially, going. oh, I see how Daniel's going to happen here. I see how Revelation's going to happen here. Again, I don't know when Christ is coming back. I don't know if it's going to be my lifetime or not, but I certainly see the pieces falling into place. I see life with a different lens. And, And again, we know we are of God. We have a different, you have a different title. You're not just a sinner, you're a saint. You're a saint who may sin sometimes, but you're a saint. You're, you're a new creation in Christ. You're not the old creature. You're not the old man, the old woman. You are a new creature in Christ. On the other hand, you know, you're not a slave to sin. Sin is no longer your master. We are of God. On the other hand, the world is opposite. The world's under the bondage of sin. The world's sin is their master. The world is a home to non-believers. The world is not my home. This is not my home. This is, uh, you know, Ray said this morning, I can't wait to go to heaven. Neither can I. I'm ready to go. This isn't my home. Okay. I'm not married to this place. The world doesn't know God because it's rejected his son as their savior. The world is blind. I mean, again, I look at people like, don't you see that this doesn't make sense. You know, all these crazy stuff today where we're calling evil, good and good evil. And it's just like, I don't get this. Don't you people see this? Don't you see how insane things are getting sometimes when people just keep going? And the world doesn't know the truth because they won't accept it. This is the world we live in. Now that's not to dog the world, it's the world we live in. And people need to hear the gospel and get their eyes open and see what's going on. We need to love them. They're created in God's image. That's not sin here to put, put them down. I, I'm just saying when I see people caught in sin, it breaks my heart. Should break ours too. They're just lost. They're blind they just don't see but as a christian don't be afraid be confident you are of god you are in his hands you didn't earn your salvation you can't maintain it he is there for you again here's what john said in john 4 verse 4 you are from god he's speaking to us if you're a christ follower and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world Don't be afraid, Christian. Don't be afraid. Here's one other one. So be confident in your salvation. Be confident if you're walking in the light that when you pray, God hears you. Be confident in your security. Here's another one. Be confident in your Savior. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true One. We are in the true one. That is, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now again, if you look at that verse, you'll see the word true three times. True, true, true. And again, He says the true one has come. We're getting ready to celebrate that at Christmas, right? In just a few weeks. We celebrate the coming of the true one. That's Jesus Christ. Again, and John again right here is affirming the deity of Christ. He is the true one. He is the one who is sent from God. And again, he says this, the true one, Christ has given us understanding. When you become a follower of Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is give you understanding. He guides you into all truth. He's kind of that GPS in your soul to help you see life from truth. And you say, wait a minute, that doesn't add up. Something's not right there. And again, he drives you to His Word to, to, to look at what God says in His Word. And, and notice what another thing John says here as far as the truth. He says, not only do we have the true One, and not only is the true One gives us understanding, but look at the next thing. We are in the true One. You are in Christ. And Christ is in you. The hope of the glory. And again, John reaffirms it at the end. He is the true one, the true God, and eternal life. This is who we have. Our Savior. Now, as we wrap up this letter, John ends this letter in a weird way. But I think there's a reason for this. Here's the last thing I want you to be confident as we wrap up. Be confident your life can count. Be confident that your life can count. Look at the last verse. Little children, talking to believers, guard yourselves from idols. And then that just ends. That's it. Now, some people say, well, there must have been more to the letter because that's kind of a weird way just to end the letter. And maybe, you know, God allowed the last part to be lost because it wasn't inspired. I'm. It's possible. I don't know. On the other hand, it could be possible. John just ended it that way because he's kind of at the peak. And he wants to leave you with a thought. Don't give yourselves to idols, guard yourselves against idols. I don't think she's on anymore. Back in the 90s, y'all remember the Dr. Laura show? Laura Schlesinger? Did anybody ever listen to the Laura Schlesinger show? Okay, I, I listened to a lot of talk radio, and she had this. Uh, Laura, I don't think she's on anymore. But at the end of her show, she always said this now go do the right thing. That's how she'd end her show. Now go do the right thing. I kind of believe that when John, he's kind of brought us all the way up to this climax and he says, hey, go do the right thing. Guard yourselves against idols. Don't get involved with this mess. I've told you everything. Go do the right thing. Why? Well, in his letter, he tells us why we want to do this. Chapter 2, verse 28. Little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed. In other words, go do the right thing. Keep yourself from idols. Because when he comes, and it could be in our lifetime, I don't know. The world's certainly looking like it. I don't want to be ashamed. Do you? So remain in Him. Do what's right. Do the right thing. In chapter 4, he kind of brings it again around. He says, "In this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. You see, there's a day when we are going to give an account for our lives. Now, as a Christ follower, it's not going to be, am I going to heaven or not? That's already settled. But there is a day when we're going to stand before Christ. And we're going to give an account of how we've used our lives. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 3. our lives are going to be either wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. There's going to be aspects of my life, I'm sure they're going to be wood, hay, and stubble. I hope there's a lot more gold, precious stones. You say, what's the point of that, Jim? So you can walk around like with your big pile of gold. You know, well, you know. Are we going to feel bad when Billy Graham's walking around with like wheelbarrows? That's not the point of it. (laughs) I think the point of it really is the greater the gold, the greater the joy. I think in that moment, we stand before Christ. The more we have to offer and say, "This is what I have, and it's gold, silver, and precious stones," the greater the joy we will feel in that moment. It's not so you have bragging rights, but it's the moment that you will feel the, the greater joy. And if a person has given their life, and you know there, are, there are people who you know have worked in a factory, but they've always just emulated Christ. And they've always shared Christ in their life. And they've lived lived—they've been the hands and feet of Christ. And I believe they're going to have lots of gold, silver, and precious stones. And then there may be a person who who's just been living for themselves. They're a Christian, but they just really don't live Christ in their life. They're not going to have a whole lot to show for their life. And this person over here is going to have a lot to show. And I think the person who has a lot to show is going to have a greater joy in that moment. And again, it's not a bragging thing. It's going to be, oh, yes, it was so worth it. Whereas the person over here is going to be like, wow, I wish I had been able to offer more to my Savior. Again, it's not about salvation. But there is a day when we will stand before Christ. And again, John is saying, look, live out love. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Live out your salvation so that you can have confidence when you stand before Christ that you have done the best you can as an act of worship to Him. So again, John's been putting all this in his letter to a church that's really been struggling with confidence because of false teaching. And he's saying, we know, we know, we know. Be confident, be confident, be confident. We've seen Him. We've touched Him. We've heard Him. He is from the beginning. He is a pre-existing God. Place your faith in Him. Walk in the light and you will have confidence and and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and keep yourself from idols. Just, Just go out there and do the right thing. Walk in the light. Confess your sins if you sin. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Idols. Don't get into those things. Don't fellowship with darkness. Don't give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Christ follower, there's no reason not to be confident. We don't need to live in fear. I know the world's a scary place sometimes. And you see stuff going on, you're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy, you know. I told somebody, I don't know, I said, Some, there's a part of me that fully expects to be in jail by the time I die for the, for the cause of the Gospel. Maybe so, but I'm not going to be afraid of that. I hope it never happens. But sometimes I wonder in America if there's going to be a day when, when the truth is preached that we're going to be told to stop or go to jail. I hope not. I mean, there's little pockets of those things happening occasionally. I pray to God that doesn't happen here. But if it does, it does. But I don't need to be afraid of that. Because I know it's temporary. It's all temporary. We're all going to pass. So there's no reason to be afraid. So here's my question to you as we wrap up this series are you living in confidence? Are you living in confidence? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. First question I know we've harped on this a lot, but it's just it's just fundamentals. Do you know that you know? Has there been Point in your life, it doesn't have to be a radical moment, it doesn't have to be a public moment. But do you know that you know that Christ is your Savior? Do you have your faith and trust in Him and Him alone? Have you repented of your sins, confessed your need for Him, and just said, Lord, save me? Have you done that? Do you have your faith and trust in Him alone right now? If so, are you living out for Christ? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the best of your ability? I'm not asking you to be perfect, because sometimes we do sin. But when you do, do you confess it? Do you repent? Do you get back up? Do you seek to allow Christ to live through you? Do you let the Holy Spirit live through you? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? If you're doing those things, you know when you pray, God hears you. Because you're going to be praying in alignment with His will. You don't need to be afraid about the future. You're secure in His hands. We have a Savior who loves you and will keep you. Don't be afraid. If you're living in fear, let's get it settled. Don't live in fear. If you're like, Jim, I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven, then let's get it settled. Don't walk out of here in fear. If you're watching on Facebook, are you living in fear? I know the world's crazy at times. The world's just doing what the world does because it's trying to find truth outside of Christ and it never will. But do you know Christ? Do you have confidence? Heavenly Father, there may be some today who are just really living in fear and struggling. I pray whether today afterwards they talk to me or tonight, or whatever they they, if, first of all, if they're not sure about their salvation, they'll give their heart to you and just be done. Take the gift. If there are those who've taken the gift but they've not been walking in the light, they'll repent and return so they can live in confidence that when they stand before Christ, they have some things to offer to Him so that their joy may be complete. Lord, help us not to live in fear. Thank You for this Christmas season that we're entering into, that You loved us so much that You sent Your Son into this world. Thank You for that gift, incredible gift. And we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.